TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. It's a Friday night, which means I am feeling all right. Hello, Scoop Podcast faithful. This is Scoop Podcast episode 285 on this Friday night, the 28th of February, right here on Score North on 1500, scorenorth.com. Hopefully you have the Score North app. We'll get to Matt Babcock, Babcock Hoops, in just a bit. He is an NBA draft aficionado, expert, however you want to describe him. We'll get his takes on the local guys, what the Wolves might be thinking. Looks like the Wolves will have, what, three picks in the top 35 or 36 of the June draft. So June will be a big deal for the Wolves. Heck, a much bigger deal than anything they are currently doing. Let me start with a little bit on the Vikings. I'm sure I'll get back to the Vikings at some point. Over the next hour, Mike Zimmer noted on Wednesday that they, the Vikings, had a productive meeting with Brian Murphy from Athletes First, a meeting with Brian on Tuesday night in Indianapolis at the Combine. Brian represents a number of Vikings, but headliner-wise, it would be the three unrestricted Vikings that matter most right now, Everson Griffin, Trey Waynes, and Anthony Harris. In case you missed it, here's what Mike Zimmer said about the possibility of Everson Griffin, who, if you listen to this podcast, you knew a long time ago, once he hit the six-and-a-half-sack threshold, he was going to elect unrestricted free agency. This way, Everson controls the situation. The Vikings would have gone to him to say, hey, we need you to restructure if he didn't opt out. So he was always going to opt out, but Mike Zimmer is very confident that Griffin will remain a Viking. Here's what Mike Zimmer said on Wednesday, in case you missed it. Um, we met with his agent yes, yesterday, I think it was. So, um, you know, Everson's a, Everson's a terrific person for us. Um, I think our, our situation is the right one for him. And uh, we expect him to be back. I think he wants to be back. And so, you know, those kind of things usually work, work its way out. The key guy in the Vikings organization is Les Pico. Let's keep in mind, after Everson went through his very personal ordeal a year ago, Les Pico, as much as anyone in that Vikings organization, was there to help Everson through everything that he had to battle. He continues to battle. He's open about that in many ways. Everson is still fighting some mental hurdles. But Les Pico with the Vikings is a big, big resource for Everson. So if Everson goes elsewhere... He would greatly miss Les Pico, so keep that in mind when Everson thinks about what to do here in free agency. On Anthony Harris, I would say money will talk loudest. This is Anthony's one big opportunity to cash out. So even though he changed to an agency that has a great relationship with the Vikings, I don't think he's taking a team-friendly deal. I think money will have to talk loudest. Now, if the Vikings create all sorts of cap space, if they offer him a lot of money, sure, Anthony has an interest in returning, and the Vikings have an interest in keeping Anthony Harris. Mike Zimmer is a big fan of Anthony Harris, but it will be very hard for the Vikings to accomplish that. The Vikings also said, hey, we have an interest in keeping Trey Waynes, but like Anthony, now Trey might be able to hit another payday with another contract, but Trey should hit a nice payday here in a few weeks. It's unlikely that the Vikings will be able to pay Trey Waynes what other teams will pay him. 
All right, let's now transition. I'll get back to the Vikings later on in this podcast. Let's now transition to Matt Babcock. He is the owner and founder of Babcock Hoops, babcockhoops.com. Before launching Babcock Hoops, Matt was a certified agent. In fact, he can remind us, but he represented a player on the Wolves going back five, six, seven years ago. He did some draft work last year for Sports Illustrated, SI.com, but now he has his own site, Think about his basketball family. His dad is Dave Babcock, Director of Player Personnel for the Milwaukee Bucks. Two uncles, Pete and the late Rob Babcock, both former NBA general managers. Rob spent a lot of years in the Wolves front office. God rest his soul. Also his cousins, Chris and Nate Babcock, hold positions with the Philadelphia 76ers and Atlanta Hawks, respectively. So the Babcock family is... Well-known in NBA circles, Matt travels the country. He's watched a lot of draft prospects in person. So let's pick his brain on a big draft for the Wolves come June. Here is Matt Babcock. Matt, I greatly appreciate your time. It seems like there's a lot of opinions, whether it's from draft experts like yourself, heck, texting with some front office officials, that this isn't a real strong draft. Now, my comeback to that, Matt, is... You know what? There's probably an all-star. Maybe I'll be wrong on this, Matt, but there's probably an all-star somewhere in this draft. So it's on each team's scouting department. Like This is where scouting departments will earn their money. But I guess overall, just big picture-wise, how do you analyze this June draft? You know, I, I feel like almost every year, you know, there, there's there's some negativity with uh, with, with the draft. Um, you know, with this year, I, you know, I, I don't think the star power is overwhelming. Uh, but I, I do like some of these players and um, you know, it's probably going to be a situation where, you know, certain players need to get in the right fit and develop properly. And I think we could have, you know, two or three all-stars out of this draft. I mean, you think it might be as many as three? Like, I mean, I guess when you say that, I mean, who instantly comes to mind? Is it the kid from Georgia? Is it the former Memphis big man? Like when you say that three all-stars, cause I'm not quite sure I see that, but you know what? In all likelihood, you're going to be right. I'm going to be wrong. <laughs> well, you know, Wiseman and Edwards, I mean, I think those are the two top guys, at least in my book. You know, I think there's a handful of other guys that if everything really clicks and, and they develop properly, they could be on that level. I mean, I, I like Obi Toppin, uh, Denny Avdia, LaMelo Ball. Uh, Nyeka Okongwu from USC is really, really turning things up. And, um, you know, RJ Hampton's got a ton of upside. And, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't bet that all these guys are going to click, but to say that you know one or two of them might might come out of that that group as a as a stud, um, yeah, I say that's that, 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 I think there's a good chance of that. On some of the names you brought up, Wiseman, Ball, Hampton, those guys aren't playing right now. They only played for a little bit. Whether it was Ball and Hampton overseas, where in Australia, Wiseman for a little bit in Memphis for Penny Hardaway for Mike Miller. But there isn't a big book on those guys. And I guess if you want to go back a year, any number of high school all-star games, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, these scouting departments have at least a good year to two, you know, book on these guys. But how difficult is it to evaluate those guys with limited action over the last calendar year? You know, it's challenging. I mean, you would rather, you know, be able to have a larger sample size and be evaluated than right now when there's a lot of competitive basketball going on. Uh, but you did hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, most uh, most scouts have seen these guys at least once. I mean, for example, with Wiseman, um, I was at the Hoop Summit last year, and uh, you know most of the NBA was there. And so we spent three four days, you know, with, you know getting a close look at him. Um, you know, a large contingent of NBA staffs were at uh, Memphis Pro Day. Um, you know, so I mean, we we did have a chance to evaluate him. It's not like you know anybody's going into the draft blind on him or, or, or any of these guys. I would say 
you know, LaMelo's probably had the, the least amount of exposure. Um, I mean, you know, many NBA guys went to Australia this year, uh, but, you know, he wasn't involved with, you know, as many of the high school events, um, you know, last spring. So, I mean, you know, again, you know, smaller sample size, but I think everybody knows these guys to a certain extent. On the local team, the Wolves, a team you know well, your late uncle used to work for the Wolves, and he used to represent at least one Wolves player, if not if not multiple. So it's an organization you know well. You know a lot of the organizations well, but in this particular case, you know the Minnesota Timberwolves well. All right, I mean, it looks like, I mean, who knows? Maybe they get lucky for the first time in their lottery history. It's almost impossible to comprehend, Matt, but never once have the Wolves moved up on lottery night. The year they landed Carl Anthony Towns, they had the worst record, so they maintained the number one overall draft position. Now, who knows? I mean, maybe they end up with the worst record, so maybe they'll be in position again to have really good odds to land the first pick, but it looks like they will have three picks in the top, I don't know, 35 or so. They own the Nets' first-round pick. The Eastern Conference stinks, so that pick will convey as long as the Nets make the playoffs. The Nets are a stone-cold lock to make the Eastern Conference playoffs, so it looks like the Wolves will have what appears to be a top-five pick, the Nets pick, which looks like it'll be like pick maybe 16, maybe 17, who knows, maybe as high as 15. Then the Wolves will have their own second-round pick, which would be like pick, I don't know, 33, 34, 35. As you look at what the Wolves potentially need, I mean, I think they need a power forward. I just don't know if Carl Anthony Towns can guard for, so I think you need to find the right four-man that fits next to Carl Anthony Towns. But they need defenders. They need shooters. They need a lot of different things, Matt. I guess who are who are some logical fits for the Wolves? Let's say they end up picking top five, pick 16, pick 17, and pick 35. Who are some guys that you like for the Minnesota Timberwolves? Yeah, you know, I think um, I think they're in an interesting situation having those two picks because now, now all of a sudden you could do a number of different things with, with each pick. Um, you know, I, I think it would be unlikely that would, they would take two players that are similar. So depending on who you target with that first pick, um, whether that be Obi Toppin or Denny Abdiya, um, you know, it's going to change how you're looking at that second pick. But, um, I mean, right now on, on my mock draft, we have uh, Obi Toppin going to Minnesota at number three. And he, he would be a perfect fit. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he, he's sort of a modern, a modern power forward. You know, he can shoot the ball from outside, but he's, uh, he's a high flyer. Um, you know, you know, put him next to, uh, you know, Cat and, and, you know, have another option for, um, D'Angelo and, and pick and roll opportunities. I mean, that, that would be, you know, a pretty exciting trio. Um, and so, you know, sort of, you know, piggybacking what I was saying as far as, okay, say they did go with the power forward at that first pick. Um, probably need to add a, a wing or, or, you know, maybe a point guard. I mean, I think them bringing in um, D'Angelo changes things a little bit. I mean, before that trade, I had them penciling in as being a team that, that would likely take a point guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, that obviously takes a lot of pressure off. I, you know, D'Angelo, you have some flexibility to play him off the ball, but, I, you know, I have a hard time believing they're going to invest in, in somebody to be the primary point guard with D'Angelo there. Um, so, you know, maybe a combo guard. Tyrese Halliburton is a guy that can play both on and off the ball. Um, Theo Maladon from France, he'd be an interesting guy. And then there's there's some wings that I think would fit well that would probably be in that range. Uh, Aaron Neesmith from Vanderbilt, who really just shoots the ball well. Isaac Okoro from Auburn, who's a terrific athlete. Um, yeah, Minnesota, I mean, they're, they're a team that are probably going to need to be bringing in a ton of guys during the pre-draft process because they have so much flexibility. Then it pick whatever it is, 34, 35. At that point, do you just trust your board? Like, it doesn't matter at that point. 
in terms of position. Like if you have a guy that you have 22nd or 23rd on your board, regardless of position, you pull the trigger at that moment. Yeah, I mean, it sort of depends. You know, again, you know, the more picks you have, the more flexibility you have. So, I mean, if there is a guy that you have rated super high that, that slipped through the cracks, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it, you, you have the flexibility to pull the trigger and maybe take a little bit more of a flyer than you would if you didn't have those other picks coming in. And um, they also could do, you know, a draft and stash uh, with, with an international guy, um, or they could sell the pick. I mean, it's just they really, you know, I think pressure would be off of that pick a lot, which, uh, you know, which is a nice luxury for, for Gerson to have. I think the fans would destroy Gerson. They would destroy Glenn Taylor. He sold the pick a few years ago, and it was Flip Saunders, the late Flip Saunders, and they just got destroyed. So let's hope they don't end up selling right. that pick because that should be a very valuable pick. We're talking with Matt Babcock, Babcock Hoops. Check out his fine work. He's an NBA draft expert. A little bit more on, on the Dayton kid. All right, so you brought up his name, Matt, but okay, so you think he is a good fit next to Cat? And, I mean, he's he's an older guy, right? Does he have a little... Does he have a little Amari Stoudemire maybe in his game? Oh, absolutely. That's the guy that we've uh, drawn comparisons to, you know, all year. Um, I, I don't think he's quite as big as Amari, but they they've got you know similar type body movements, you know, big time athletes, and just you know a scoring versatile four. And uh, you know he, he is older, and that, you know that's a knock. I mean, especially if you're talking to you know analytics types. Um, but I mean, I think he's ready to step in right away and be a really effective player. And uh, you know, so I mean, with with Minnesota specifically. You know, if they were able to get him, I mean, he, you know, now they've got a one, two, three punch with, the, you know, with those two other guys. Uh, they, they improved day one with, with him. If the Wolves landed the first pick, is Anthony Edwards of Georgia good enough where they don't necessarily need a two man? Although I think he's probably got some position flexibility. You would know better than me, but he might be able to guard some threes. I mean, maybe he could coexist with Malik Beasley and D'Angelo Russell, but is he good enough where? You just take him, or will there be, depending on who ends up with the first pick, legitimate debate about who they end up taking number one? Yeah, it's uh, they're one of the teams that's a little tricky because you know the one thing with Anthony Edwards, I I I believe he's got the most upside in the draft, uh, but he you know he is not a finished product. Um, And and another thing to keep in mind is he's listed at six five. I'm I'm not really trusting that listing. (laughs) I I Mm. think he's more of a six three six four type guy, which would Mm. You know, limit his flexibility. Yeah, I thought he was taller um, than that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see what, what he actually does measure out at. Uh, but you know, he has a really strong build. I mean, he looks like a football player. But um, you know, he, he is not. He's not you know overly long or tall. Um, and you know, so from a size standpoint, he and Beasley are kind of similar. I, I you know that that wouldn't be a perfect fit. And then you know, with Wiseman. You know, I don't, I don't know if that's a perfect fit with Cat too. Like you said, you know, Cat offensively can do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. Defensively, those are two, those are two big boys. And uh, the way the game's played now, I don't know if that fits that well. And so now, all of a sudden, okay, are they, are they a team that just takes top talent, or are they a team that's, uh, you know, looking at trades and moving back and getting a, a better fit like Toppin or Avdia or you know, a guy like that? On Avdia, so he's the kid from Maccabi Tel Aviv. Tell us a little bit more about him. Yeah, so Denny Denny's a good player, and he's really coming alive uh, as of late. I mean, he's playing in the Euro League, uh, which is you know, which is a, you know a big boys league, and he's being really effective. Um, he's he's like a point forward, he's six nine, um, kind of kind of in the mold of like Ben Simmons a little bit. Although I know Ben Simmons, they, they play him on the ball as a primary point guard. I, I still kind of see him as a point forward. Uh, Denny's kind of in that mold, um, you know, playmaker, and, and he's a much better shooter than than Ben. 
Um, I, I think he's, you know, I think he's got some big time talent. I mean, he would fit in well with what Minnesota's doing. It's just a matter of, you know, where they picking. Then on the USC kid, I think you saw him in person, just following you on Twitter. You saw the USC kid in person in the last week or two. Is the proper pronunciation on the last name Okungwu? I don't even know how you say his first name, but last name Okungwu. I guess tell us about him. I mean, I guess just watching a little bit, Matt, he's got a little bit of old school to his game. Yeah, it's Onyeka Okungwu, and I've seen him twice in the last uh, last month. Oh, twice. Okay, um, nice. Yeah, he's and I've seen him before. So I, I've seen him a lot. He's he's an extremely good player, and I you know the more I see him, the more I like him. Um, he's you know it's interesting evaluating these big guys now because um, you know with, with this player specifically, if this were twenty years ago, we'd be considering him you know a four or five, and, and now he's an undersized five. Um, you know, at one point I had I had the Timberwolves taking him at five or six. He's not a perfect fit with Cat because he is more penciled in as a five. Um, sort of what he reminds me of is, is sort of uh, similar to an old Timberwolf. Is uh, he's a more athletic Al Jefferson. I mean, his footwork, his touch around the rim with both hands, um, you know, is, is uncanny. And, uh, and, and you know, on top of that, he's a terrific shot blocker, rebounder, uh, runs the floor. Uh, he's and he's supposed to be a really great kid. Um, you know, again, I'm not sure he's the perfect fit for Minnesota, but depending on where they're picking, they, they may have to look at him just because of how good he is. Yeah, I mean, I think that defense would play here. I mean, from what I can tell, Matt, I think he's a plus defender. Plus, he makes his free throws. I mean, that's that's a rarity for big men, but in this case, this USC big, I mean, it looks to me like he makes a lot of free throws. Yeah, no, he's really skilled. I mean, I, you know, they're not using him um, you know, on the perimeter at all. I mean, shooting the ball. Uh, I, you know, I actually had played for his AU coaches, this guy named Eitov Udaema in, uh, in California, uh, just a legendary grassroots guy. And he, uh, he swears to me that the guy can really shoot it. And he's just, he's not needing to do that at USC. Mm. So I think he's got a little bit more to his game than we're seeing. Um, and just, you know, the, the last game I saw him was at Colorado and he put on a show with his finishing around the, around the rim and his footwork. And so, yeah, he is, he's extremely skilled and, uh, yeah, he definitely would bring uh, some defense to the table too, just, just with some rim protection couple final talking points for Matt Babcock, Babcock Hoops, NBA draft expert. Remind me of the Villanova kid. Is it Sadiq Bay? Am I saying his name right, Matt? Yeah, Sadiq, Sadiq Bay. So I was texting with a Western Conference front office executive, just running that name by this individual. He was raving about Bay. Then he made the point that just Villanova guys, it clicks. Like if you play for Jay Wright, it just more often than not, not maybe 100% across the board, but more often than not, those guys turn into good NBA players. How much stock do you put in what program a guy comes from, what coach a guy played for, and I guess in the case of Sadiq Bay, how much do you like him? Well, first of all, I, I really like Sadiq, and I mean, he's you know sort of similar to what I was saying about Okungwu. The more I see him, the more I get to know about him, the more I like him. And, you know, he's uh, seems to be one of these players that has the, the growth mindset. You know, just continues to get better. He absorbs things. Uh, coaches love him, uh, teammates love him, um, plays hard, and I, and I think he's just a guy that will maximize his potential. Um, you know, in regards to, you know, the school and the coach they come from, um, you know, I, I love Jay Wright. I mean, he, he's as good as it gets. It, 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 I love watching his teams play. They, they play the right way. They play hard. The players improve. And, and actually, they're, they're all a little bit more prepared to step into the NBA. Um, I think, I think part of it too that, that goes, uh, you know, unsaid some at, at times is, um, uh, players that choose to go there. And so I think you, you know, Jay recruits a certain type of guys and the guys that buy in, 
um, are guys that do have that growth mindset that I mentioned with, with Sadiq. And, um, yeah, he's, he, he's a guy that keeps climbing up the boards. And I, I think we, we have him in the 20s somewhere. Yeah, 26 right now. And, um, yeah, he, he's, he's a solid player. We will wrap up, Matt, with a little bit, or who knows, maybe a lot. We'll see where the conversation takes us. But this is a fascinating draft for those of us in the Twin Cities. Zeke Naji, Hopkins High School, University of Arizona. Daniel Oturu, Gophers. Creighton Durham Hall High School. Trey Jones, Duke. Apple Valley High School. Matthew Hurt. I think Matthew maybe ends up back at Duke for, for a second year. But Mr. Basketball, Rochester John Marshall. You've got Tyrell Terry, DeLaSalle High School in Minneapolis at Stanford. He's a legit draft prospect. McKinley Wright. I don't know if he goes pro, but McKinley is one of the best players in the Pac-12 from Champlain Park High School. Then you've got Jericho Sims, who played at a small school here in Minneapolis at the University of Texas. I don't know if he goes pro either, but I mean, he is an unbelievable athlete. I mean, and I might be leaving out a name or two, like maybe Theo John and Marquette or somebody else from the metro area has a chance to eventually play in the NBA. But it is fascinating, Matt, isn't it? How many Minnesota players have a chance to go relatively high in this draft? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it seems like uh, Minnesota, as of late, is a, is a hotbed for talent. And, uh, you know, I mean, you know, Najee and Otru are, are both two guys that, you know, weren't overly hyped out of high school. And both of those guys have played them you know, themselves into probably being first-round picks this year. Um, you know, and Matthew Hurts, you know, I, right now I, I'm, I'm projecting that he does go back to Duke, but if he's in this year's draft, I mean, he, he's a solid draft pick too. And um, it's exciting to see that, you know, a market like Minneapolis is, is producing some, some serious players. Which of those guys do you like the most? I mean, I guess it would come down to Najee or Oturu. But, I mean, is it one of those guys that you like the most? Or oh, who knows, maybe it's Tyrell Terry or somebody else. Yeah, you know, Terry, I, 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 I've seen him. I, I can't say that I know him real well. I, I see him more as a guy for next year to be a high-priority guy. It, uh, he's really doing a lot of good things at Stanford as a freshman. Um, seems young. I mean, he looks young. His body uh, is a little bit undeveloped. I think he could benefit from a, a summer of really getting after in the weight room. Um, and But, you know, I am expecting big things for him next year. Um, with with Najee Oturu, uh, I think it's pretty close. I, I have got Najee rated higher. Um, I, I really, uh, I actually wrote an article about Najee recently, and um, I, I saw him in some uh, high school events last year, uh, specifically the Iverson Classic. I saw him win the three-point shootout, and you know, at, at his size, I was you know intrigued by that alone. And I did some homework, speaking to some people in the Minnesota area, and uh, everybody that had seen him play AU ball said, "Hey, he can really shoot it." And so I went to Arizona before the season and, and watched him practice, and the coaches raved about him. Sean Miller said he was the best player they had there at the time. Um, which is saying a lot with the prospects that they have there. And, uh, you know, so seeing everything he's done this year and seeing with my own eyes that he's, he's got the ability to shoot it from outside, I just think he really fits in what, you know, what NBA teams are doing today. He can play the four or the five, plays hard, seems like a really high character kid. Mm-hmm. And then he's thrown there, he's got upside to, to be able to stretch it a little bit. Um, but Otura's not far behind. You know, he, uh, I, I was at the Hoop Summit where he got hurt. Yeah. Um, so I didn't get a chance to see him that long, but I, you know, I got my eyes on him, and you know, he's uh, he's he's intriguing at first glance because he's so big and long, and he moves well. Um, and I saw him last year at the Big Ten Conference uh, tournament and did some good things. Hey, this year he's just come out hot and uh, you know, uh, guns blazing, and, and really hasn't slowed down at all. And uh, he, he keeps he keeps climbing. I'm, I'm actually going to Indianapolis for the Big Ten tournament this year. And, um, I mean, he's going to be a main focal point of, of that trip. On Zeke, I mean, yeah, you think he can probably end up guarding threes and fours? And, yeah, I mean, I actually wish 
You're right. I mean, that Arizona roster is is pretty loaded. I actually think they should probably have more wins. But, yeah, I mean, Zeke doesn't shoot it from the outside all that often, but we saw it at Hopkins High School. You mentioned the Iverson Classic winning the three-point contest. He has it in his game. So, yeah, I mean, I think that part of his game will develop more and more. I just think he's he's a phenomenal athlete, and you're right. I mean, character is A+. plus. So, I mean, I think somebody's going to take Zeke where, do you think, Matt, like in the – in the maybe the 18 to 28 range, and I think whoever ends up with Zeke Naji is going to be very happy. Yeah, I've got him at 11 right now, which I think is on the high mm. side of his range. I just, you know, knowing, you know, I've done a lot of homework on him, and so just knowing that he kind of checks all the all the boxes, I just, I, I foresee him moving up during the pre-draft process. I think he's a guy that, that will, will climb, um, you know, and, and when guys get a, you know, uh, get a grip of his ability to shoot it, that alone, I mean, he's just, you know, coaches are going to fall in love with him, you know, because they're going to be able to envision him, you know, playing two different positions and stretching the floor. Um, and so I just, you know, I'm, I think, you know, I, I'm higher on him than probably most media members. Uh, but, you know, this is part of my, you know, my agent background, just kind of seeing how the pra- pre-draft process plays out for certain guys. And uh, I just think it's going to help him. Remind us, by the way, who you represented that played on the Wolves, because I brought that up. Who did you represent that played for the Timberwolves? Um, so I worked for a number of agencies. When I was on my own, the, the, I think the deal you're thinking of was uh, I had Miroslav Radulov's, uh Yes, um, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah which was, it ended up being sort of a screwy deal. We, we, uh, we got him out of his deal in China, and um, we agreed to a remainder of the year deal. And then when we got here, he had issues with his foot. Um, and so Milton was, was really professional and respectful. And, uh, they gave us two 10-day contracts, uh, pretty much just out of respect. Uh, but, you know, there was concerns with, with the physical on the foot that he couldn't commit to the remainder of the year deal. And so it ended up work, it did not work out long term. Um, but, you know, it was just kind of one of those unfortunate things. I, we, we just didn't realize that there was such an issue with his foot at the time. Matt, remind folks what your Twitter handle is if people want to follow you on Twitter. Yes, yeah, uh, Matt Babcock11. Matt Babcock11. The website is babcockhoops.com. Matt Babcock. Check out his profile, his recent profile on Zeke Naji, Hopkins High School. There's a mock draft there. He's got a bunch of people on his staff, including Fran Fraschilla, who's been on this podcast a bunch. So that is one of the great sites when it comes to NBA draft knowledge, babcockhoops.com. Matt, thank you so much. Hey, thanks, Darren. Anytime. I love talking about the NBA draft. We'll talk to Billy Turner of the Green Bay Packers next segment, but let me empty out my figurative notebook. Continuing the basketball theme, no dialogue yet, at least as of Thursday afternoon, between the Wolves and the Jordan McLaughlin camp. He is coming down to the final few days of his two-way contract. In an ideal world, the Wolves buy out Evan Turner this weekend so he can land with a playoff hopeful or a playoff contender, more like a legitimate playoff team a team like the Boston Celtics that has kicked the tires on him, or the Miami Heat, maybe even the L.A. Lakers. There's some teams that have kicked the tires, and in an ideal world, the Wolves buy out Evan Turner this weekend, then convert Jordan McLaughlin's two-way deal into a standard deal. He was phenomenal the other night in the win in Miami. He has earned the opportunity to be a legitimate backup for the Wolves. But as of Thursday afternoon, no official dialogue, but hopefully... That dialogue happens soon. A reminder that the Phoenix Suns were set to sign McLaughlin after the June draft. Brian Palga, who used to work in the Wolves' front office, he was let go shortly after the draft. He had a lot to do with the Wolves ending up with McLaughlin. It also helped 
that Phoenix signed a guard right after the draft. They had their attention focused on McLaughlin, then pivoted when a guy that they really liked went undrafted. So then the McLaughlin camp pivoted and said, hey, we'll go play for the Wolves in Summer League, and the rest is history. By the way, as of Thursday afternoon, I'm taping this portion of the Scoop podcast just with some Friday obligations on the TV side, plus on the personal side. As of Thursday afternoon, no movement on the Evan Turner buyout front. Some other notes I wrote down, some stuff I had on TV last night. Former Gophers Carter Coughlin and Kamal Martin each had an informal interview with the Vikings on Wednesday night. Both will visit the Vikings facility in early April. No real need for the Vikings to have formal interviews with those guys, A, because they'll visit in a few weeks, B, You think about J.D. Spielman, he knows Carter Coughlin incredibly well. Rick Spielman knows Carter. They all know Kamal. They're all from the same high school class. So it's not like the Vikings had to use one of their formal interviews on a guy that they already know pretty darn well. A reminder that Kamal Martin's knee is still a bit messed up, so he can't do any drills. There is a little bit of hope that he'll be able to do some on-the-field stuff at the Gophers Pro Day on March 25th. We'll know more as we get closer. I'm told the knee is progressing nicely, just not to the point of him being able to do anything this week in Indianapolis. A couple first-round, well, one first-round prospect the Vikings had a formal interview with is Iowa offensive lineman Tristan Wirfs. Another prospect they had a formal interview with. He's not a first-round prospect. Auburn offensive lineman Prince Tega. Also on the Vikings, here's what I wrote down. Kevin Stefanski and the Browns have some interest in Vikings restricted free agent fullback C.J. Ham. The Vikings have interest in bringing back both of their free agent specialists, Dan Bailey and Britton Colquitt. They want their punter and their kicker back. Signs point to the Vikings going in a different direction. Backup quarterback-wise, Sean Mannion is a free agent. Going speed style here on my notes, the feedback on Jolie's Chassin of the Twins is good. He can opt out of his contract by March 23rd, but at this point, Chassin is a good bet to make the Twins opening day roster. They can always DFA him later. It does make sense when these other guys have options. They can option Smeltzer and Dobnak if they have to. Thorpe. In the case of Chassin, they should take him north And if they need to at some point, late April, early May, late May, whenever in June, if they need to DFA him, designate for assignment, they certainly could. But I think my sense is March 26th in Oakland, Jolie's Chassin is in the Twins' dugout. The Wilds were expecting to get back more than Andrew Ladd from the Islanders in the Zach Parisi trade talks that didn't actually come to fruition on Monday, but there was enough back and forth. I do wonder if those talks, in fact, I'm positive, Those talks will get revisited this summer, but the Wilds were expecting to get more than Ladd. It was not going to be a one-for-one trade. It sounds like that portion of the dialogue is what fell through. Something happened where the Wilds couldn't acquire a second player that they had hoped to acquire. Also, I would be surprised if this summer Bill Guerin of the Wild doesn't move one of his defensemen, namely Jonas Brodeen, or Matt Dumba. There was enough seeds planted going back the last week or two that I can see those seeds coming back out come June, come you know right before the draft, right around draft time. I fully expect the Wild to engage teams, teams to engage the Wild in those two defensemen. I don't think both are going, but I do think one goes this summer. Senior Kerwin Walton of Hopkins was a guest of the Gophers for Wednesday night's game. Oh, God, I don't even want to cite that game. It was just, ugh. 
the loss to Maryland. Georgetown coach Patrick Ewing was in to see him recently. A BYU assistant was in to see him recently. North Carolina's Roy Williams hopes to make it to town next week to see Kerwin. Arizona is still also hot after him. Creighton had its coach in recently to see Kerwin. He's got all sorts of options. As far as which way he is leaning, I just know he has a good relationship with his dad and with his brother. So there is interest in staying home. I don't know, though, which way he is leaning. He keeps a lot of things close to his vest. When we come back, we'll talk with Billy Turner of the Packers, Moundsview High School alum, plus a brief conversation I had the other day at Aldrich Arena with legendary Hill Murray boys hockey coach Bill Lechner. Hill Murray playing for a spot in the state tournament tonight. So stay with us. It is the Scoop Podcast, episode 285, right here on scorenorth.com. It's a Friday night, so I am feeling all right. Welcome back, everyone. It is Scoop Podcast, episode 285. It was NBA trade deadline day, so going back a few weeks, that Billy Turner of the Green Bay Packers came into studio. He went to Moundsview High School. He lives here in the offseason. He trains with my good buddy Bill Welly at Training House in Egan, he was a phenomenal player at North Dakota State. He's bounced around the NFL, but he finally has a home in Green Bay. He started all 16 games for the Packers at guard last season. He loves it in Green Bay. Anyway, since that day, so D'Angelo Russell got traded. You think about the Twins trade for Kenta Maeda. Then you think about the Wild trading Jason Zucker, firing Bruce Boudreaux, nearly trading Zach Parise. Heck, in Parise's ideal world, he absolutely is a New York Islander right now. So much has happened in the sports world, including the Vikings being busy in Indianapolis, plus making some coaching additions, the Vikings making coaches available to us in the last couple weeks. So anyway, I've had this interview in the can for like three weeks. It's still applicable right now. I've been meaning to play it here on the podcast. I just haven't had an opportunity. Well, now is a good opportunity. So here's my conversation from earlier this month with Green Bay Packers starting offensive lineman, Billy Turner. Billy, as we sit here just days after the season ends, just take us through where things are at. I mean, you guys were oh so close to being in Miami. Heck, who knows? Something changes here, something changes there. You might have been hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. Yeah, it was was a fun season. It was a fun ride. Obviously, uh, ended up a game too short. But at the same time, uh, a lot was accomplished. A lot was accomplished that everyone in the rest of the world across the country didn't expect to happen. You know, we knew what we were capable of, you know, within our building, within the organization. But everyone else just doubted us. You know, I don't, I don't even know who was picked to win the NFC North. I think it was the Bears or the Vikings, you know. But to be able to go undefeated in the NFC North, come away with that title and to get a first round bye, you know, that was something that was expected from us. That was our expectation. But to the rest of the world it was maybe in a couple of years, if if then, you know. So it was a it was a special year, but to be honest with you, it was a it's not where we wanted to go. It's not where we wanted to end and, you know, we're gonna be uh working this off season to uh get back there next year. When did you know that your group could be special like was it was it sometime during OTAs was it sometime during mini camp in June training camp in July was it after the first few games in September when did you know Billy that okay this group has a chance to do something special you know talking to uh, talking to some of the staff some of the guys that were there last year it was um, 
it was evident that the year prior and the two years prior, things were not in the right situation. As far as a mindset, a vibe, uh, as far as just the overall environment in the building. And I think that reflected in the team's play on the field. But once I got there, you know, going through the spring, going through the summer and training camp, you could kind of tell and you could kind of get a feel of everyone's head was in the right place. Everyone was on the same page. We all had the same goal, but you know, it wasn't uh it wasn't negativity, you know, and some of the teams I had been on prior, like there just wasn't a good mindset with everyone. There were some me, me, me guys and on this team it was everyone was collectively together for the same goal. It wasn't guys trying to win personal accolades or, or anything like that. You know, it wasn't guys trying to get to the Pro Bowl, trying to be all pros. Everyone was focused on winning and just winning whatever we had to do to win every game whatever we had to do to win the nfc north that was everyone's focus so from that aspect it was known early on that we had a chance to be special and i think a lot of guys can say that but the feeling was a little different for me and then once we started the season that first game in chicago and those first couple of games some of the ones that were close that we pulled out at the end that was when i truly knew that we had what it would take to not only win the NFC North, but to get to the playoffs and to make a run. I mean, I think about the game against the Vikings at Lambeau in September, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the Vikings make the comeback. You guys jump out 21 nothing. Mm-hmm. The Vikings make the comeback. Dalvin Cook had all the success. They get the ball down to, what, the 9 or 10-yard line, four mm-hmm. minutes to go, first and goal, and then you guys come up with the turnover. Cousins throws the ill-fated pass back of the end zone. Mm-hmm. You guys come up with the turnover, but at that point, like maybe at that point you could have said, okay, there's something maybe magical here that mm-hmm. that game looked like it was going the Vikings' way, and you mm-hmm. guys found a way to win. Yeah, I mean, you know what? It's a uh, at this level, it's hard to play a four-quarter game perfect. You know, there is no perfect game that is played, at least in my opinion. You know, it's hard to be you know, perfect and to play a great game four quarters in, and that's what a lot of teams strive for. And if you ask me, to be honest, I don't know if there was a game this year that as a team we played a complete four-quarter game in all phases of the game. Offense, defense, special teams. You know what I mean? I'm not sure that there was. There were some games that were really close, you know, but I think if we were able to take that extra step, I think that would have made, you know, a lot of difference further into the season for us. I actually think the Monday night game here in late December. Now you guys were actually down a point at the half. Right. I mean, it was. Don't but you guys were so dominant in yeah. the second half. I mean, we were, you know. But I mean, imagine if we would have been that way in the first half. Imagine if we wouldn't have had a couple turnovers here and there. You know, if we would have just came out like we did in the second half. You know, that would have been a completely different game. What's it like playing in Green Bay? In Titletown, I mean, as you know, I mean, heck, growing up here, as mm-hmm. you've known for a long, long time, that's as unique of an environment as there is in, in the entire league. Yeah, honestly, as far as the environment, as far as playing in front of those fans and playing in that historic stadium, it doesn't get much better than that. You know, it, it's a it's a blessing for me. It's a dream come true to be able to play in that stadium, but let alone to be on that team with some of those guys that, you know, I get to suit up with and that I get to call teammates. It's a special feeling. One of those teammates is Aaron Jones, mm-hmm. and that was a breakout year. Yeah. I mean, much like you felt early on that mm-hmm. this season could be special, did you know early on working with Aaron Jones that, hey, this is a special running back? You know, talking to some of the guys, they told me that he was the real deal. 
you know, obviously not not playing with him yet. You know, everyone has their own kind of opinion. But, uh, you know, going throughout training camp and those first couple of games of the season, seeing the runs he was making and to see him in the red zone, being able to get in the end zone, not only to run the ball, but to catch the ball in the backfield. You know, after the first two games, I was like, oh, yeah, that kid, that kid's the real deal, has every, every bit of exactly what he needed to be successful throughout the year. And in my opinion, he was arguably one of the top two, if not the best back this year. Is it crazy to think like where you were this time last year compared to right now, February of 2019, compared to February of 2020? Like yeah. this point last year, you didn't know where you would end up. Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately you had many options, mm -hmm. but just think about like over the last year, how much has changed in your life? Yeah, it's a it's a different situation, man. It's a it's different, but I'm very grateful for it. You know, it's been a, it's been a blessing. It's been a great ride this past year, and you know, the plan is for this coming year, 2020, to continue to go in the same direction. What about Aaron Rodgers? What's it like blocking for? I mean, undoubtedly a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's a he's a special guy, man. He's a special player, but he's a he's a special person also. He's a he's a great dude. You know, along with everyone else on that team, welcomed me with open arms. Have a lot of great conversations with him about you know life beyond football and so many other things that don't even involve football. But just him as a true person, he's a great dude. Are you solidified at the guard spot? Like you have position flexibility. I mean, mm -hmm. when we connected at the training house, I don't know when that was, like last March, right after you signed with the Packers. Mm -hmm. We weren't quite sure how exactly the Packers would use you, but do you feel like you're solidified now as as a guard? Honestly, man, I, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't tell you. I've gone into. Uh, I've gone into seasons thinking that before, and been uh, completely wrong. So you know, do I think I'm going to play right guard next next year? I mean, yeah, maybe. But at the same time, you know, who knows what's going to happen in free agency? Who knows what's going to happen in the draft? You know, I could be playing a different position, and I'm perfectly okay with that. It's not that big of a deal. I've done it before. You know, it was. Uh, it was nice though to be uh, to be at the same position for an entire season. It's the first time that that's happened for me. But honestly. Any of those positions on the O line and doesn't really doesn't really phase me just as long as I can kind of stay there to get comfortable. Billy, I mean, just talking to you, I mean, just you using the word special multiple times, like everything you experienced, just affirm your decision. And again, you had, I mean, you can explain how many options you had. Mm -hmm. You had multiple teams bidding for for your services, but you chose Green Bay. But everything you experienced, I mean, just affirm your decision to sign with the Packers. Yeah, it was a. Uh... It, it was it was the right decision for me at the time, and now looking back at it, you know, and I would have made that decision in a heartbeat. You know, I feel like I did, but you know, I'd make the same decision ten times over again, without a doubt. As you look back at the Super Bowl, I mean, you guys won in Kansas City, you lost to the Niners twice. Mm -hmm. Like if I had asked you Sunday morning of the Super Bowl, who wins? Would you have told me? The Niners, or did you feel like, hey, because you guys beat the Chiefs and Mahomes is out, did you feel like, hey, the Chiefs had a legit chance? And heck, I mean, in Vegas, the, the Chiefs were the favorite. Honestly, personally, as a, just a fan looking at the game, if, in my opinion, if the Chiefs were able to handle the 49ers front seven, I think the Chiefs were going to come away with that game. And vice versa, you know, if they were not able to handle that, I think the 49ers defense was going to take over. And the same thing, you know, for the 49ers, if they were able to establish the run game early and consistently throughout the game, 
the Chiefs defense was playing at a higher level later in the season than it was when we played them. Also, Patrick Mahomes, you know what I mean? So, you know, there, there was a lot of factors there. Um, but to be honest, I think that game could have gone either way. I mean, there was, what, six minutes left in the fourth quarter, and the Chiefs were down by ten points. You know, I think a lot of people thought that the 49ers were going to walk away with that victory, but mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes happened, you know. Been doing it all year. He's a special player, man. So he uh, he definitely proved his worth and proved the caliber player that he is over and over again. And you know what? Man came away with a Super Bowl championship, a Super Bowl ring. He's, you know, he's victorious. He'll probably have another or maybe multiple before his career is said and done. The other news from from Super Bowl weekend was was the 2020 Hall of Fame class was announced. Mm-hmm. How much respect do you have for guard Steve Hutchinson? I remember hearing about Steve Hutchinson when I grew up. I remember hearing about a lot of Viking players when I grew up, but you know, more specifically, once I started playing football and I started playing offensive line, that's kind of when I started to watch more and more. But you know, he was uh, he was a great player here for a long time. You know, he did some special things on the field, and you know, it's shout out to him. You know, congratulations to him. That's a that's a special place, and that's a special honor amongst people who you know play. 10 15 years and don't you know don't get that honor shout out to you for for all your charitable doings tell us tell us about the Irie project so the Irie project um it was an idea that came about early in the season um i have a lot of ideas obviously but you know it was an idea that came about and me and my project manager asia were able to pull the whole thing together and it consisted of working with an elementary school here excelsior elementary school it, you know, working with obviously my teammates and then working with a buddy of mine out of uh, Miami who is kind of a designer. He makes a lot of custom suits, a lot of custom clothing, bags and whatnot. But we were able to uh, come up with a design and able to, you know, kind of formulate this idea of being able to give a Christmas gift to everyone on my team, the staff and whatnot, but also able to give back at the same time and to work with kids. And, you know, the idea of it was to give back, to give gifts and so on and so forth. But it was a cool project and was my first real creative clothing project that I came up with. And I mean, it really took off. I mean, you have an incredible platform, but that being said, I mean, were you amazed at the response you got? Yes and no, to be honest with you. I knew the idea and the concept was a good idea, you know, but the outreach and the people that responded to it, that was something that I didn't quite expect. And honestly, that is, you know, the credit is all given to Asia and everyone else that did a lot of the work, you know, behind closed doors. You know, I was in the middle of a football season. I really couldn't do much. Yeah, I came up with the design and I had the idea and whatnot, but everyone else kind of brought that whole project together. So, you know, was I surprised that it went well? No, I wasn't because that was what was expected and they pulled through and did, you know, more than expected. They did better, but, you know, the outreach, that was something else that continues to just go on down the road you know more and more people are reaching out and you know asking for clothing asking for this that and the other and asking what the next project is going to be so what is the next project the next project um there's a couple but one of them is going to be kind of a continuation of the Irie project we're going to start reaching out to local high schools universities um 
obviously NDSU, Moundsview, where I grew up and went to high school, but we're going to try to get into some more professional teams as well. We're going to do the same kind of concept, gifting some clothing and whatnot, and in return we're going to ask for either some community service style things or, you know, so on. It's going to be a little bit different depending on the level, you know, professional, collegiate, and high school, you know, everyone's schedule, you know, it varies, and what you can do is a little different per each of them, but it's going to be a continuation of the Irie project where we're able to work with kids, give back, and able to uh, give some clothing to some uh, athletes around the metro area in Wisconsin and really around the country. But it's going to be a continuation of that, and then I'm also going to be coming out with some pre-orders for some clothing that I'm designing. Nice. Now, if people want more information, where, where can they find it? They can go online to my website. It's billyturner.com. Perfect. And so it's all right there. So, like the immediate future. Mm-hmm. I mean, last time I checked, I mean, it's still going to be cold here in the upper Midwest right. for, for many, many weeks. So, yeah. I mean, if people want to get their hands on coats, I mean, like, can they do that here over the next few weeks? Over the next few weeks, maybe. Over the next few months, yes. So, um, hopefully, hopefully within the next month, month and a half, I'll be able to uh, have some pre-orders for some custom clothing that I'll have on my website. And then, I have an intern that's going to start working this weekend and Basically, her project is going to be the continuation of the Irie project. So over this offseason, we want to, like I said, reach out to some local high schools, universities, whatnot. We'll get the numbers, and then we're going to start kind of getting that thing rolling where we're able to start, you know, gifting things as well as giving back to the community. I mean, I suppose the beauty is, I mean, you still need to get your training in. Right. But, I mean, you don't need to be back in Green Bay until, what, like April 20th? Yeah. So you've got got some time to play with, Mm -hmm. right? Got some time, always working out, you know what I mean? But at the same time, you know, I got great people on my side that are uh, able to help me, able to kind of pull all these projects together. I mean, is it true that there really isn't an off-season? That, I mean, are you training pretty hard, what, four days a week, five days a week, six days a week? I'll be honest, every athlete is completely different. I, um, during the off-season, during the season, I really only take maybe one day off a week. I'm working out a lot, you know, the intensity of those workouts are different, you know, but throughout the course of the off season it's kind of it's kinda of like a mountain. You wanna to get to the peak and then you wanna start coming back down just a little bit before you go into, you know, the spring and whatnot to give your body a little bit of a break before you start, you know, getting into OTAs and so on and so forth. But, you know, there really is no off season. Like you said, in my opinion, some guys take days off some guys take no days off some guys take a month off you know everyone's completely different and you know it's kind of interesting because the further on you get into your career you got to listen to your body you know you get into year six seven eight you know you got a lot more wear and tear in your body so you got to start pulling back in certain areas and you got to start training different you know but if you're in year one two or three you know you got a little more juice you got a little more you know a little more energy and a little uh, you got more things to basically do you know but it's very uh it's very up in the air with a lot of people you know it's uh it's an interesting thing though i'll let you escape after this you brought up ndsu Mm -hmm. all the success for the bison like it's unbelievable. Like I'm running out of ways to describe all the accolades. Like you and me both. It's off the charts. Yeah, they're uh Like if I had told you ten years ago they'd go on a run like this with all these national championships, I mean you would have had to say, like, you're nuts, right? I just they were three and eight when I committed. So 
I mean, I didn't even expect that, to be honest, and I was there, you know. Um, and I'll be honest, shortly after I got there, there was an expectation, you know, the bar was set high. And after that, after my rookie season, my freshman year there, coming so close, almost like this season for us, coming so close, yet not fully getting there, that next winter and that off season, it was, we were into it. You know, that was that wasn't the expectation. That was that was what we were going to do, you know, and after that first one, it was it was like, all right, on to the next. And it just it started rolling, man. And, you know, I give a credit to that entire staff that continues to change, which is, you know, also you just kind of look and you're like, how do they keep bringing on new coaches and Mm -hmm. continue to do the same thing? You know what I mean? But, you know, there's a couple key elements to that program that have stayed there. One of them is Jim Cramer, the uh, head strength and conditioning coach. And I think that is a big part of it because he kind of gets everyone in that mindset. But, you know, that whole school and everyone up there in that area that is the expectation now, but I give credit to all of them because that is not just a player thing. That is a whole school. That is a whole university thing, and it's it really, truly is special. Packers starting offensive lineman from Moundsview High School, Billy Turner. We wrap up here on this Friday night on Scoop Podcast episode 285 with my brief conversation from earlier this week with Hill Murray boys hockey coach, Bill Lechner, tonight at Aldrich Arena, standing room only at Aldrich. Hill Murray will play White Bear Lake, one of the great rivalries in Minnesota boys' high school hockey. A trip to the state tournament will be on the line. Here is my brief conversation the other day at Aldrich Arena with Bill Lechner. It was actually fun. I was over there to catch up with the Blaine hockey team. Hill Murray had the ice right before Blaine, so I shot it over to Bill. I've known Bill for a while, just with his... You know, all of his accomplishments and his involvement with Hill Murray Athletics. And I said, hey, Bill, can we catch up? So I ended up two birds, one stone, doing some stuff with Blaine and with Hill Murray. Here's my brief conversation the other day with Bill Lechner. A familiar position, a position you've been in many times. Do you like the way your team's playing right now? Um, without being overconfident, they're, they're playing well right now. we got a good group of guys that are working hard and giving it all they have at practice right now. So hopefully we'll be ready. But, you know, it's a tough section, and Mounds U and Stillwater and White Bear are still there. So we're all competitive teams that want to go downtown. I mean, you know how competitive the section is. The way last year ended for you, for your team, how does that motivate the group? Well, you know, you're always you're – always, you want to be at the top of the mountain at the end of the year. You know, we have goals to, you know, the first step is, is do well during the season, try and win the conference, and then you get to section and try and get there and then get to excel and do well there. So when you don't reach that goal, you know, it's, it's a bigger cliff to fall off of. But those are our expectations, respectfully, every year. And So, yeah, it was a tough pill to swallow, but, you know, hats off the opponent, and now we try again this year. 2A, I mean, am I nuts to think that 2A is pretty open, that you can make a case for whether it's you guys, heck, whether it's Blaine, whether it's Andover, you can make a case for a lot of teams yeah. having a chance here in a couple weeks? During the year, the uh, if you saw and everybody's that's watching, you know, with our non-conference schedules now, we get to play a lot of teams like ourselves get to play the best of the best. And, and you look and it's like, oh, okay, well, they're number one. And then they lose or tie or somebody. So, you know, we have, what, six losses and three ties, but there are a lot of top teams and we've knocked off a lot of top teams. So you feel that we're one of them, but there's a, there's a handful there that I think whoever gets the tournament this year, uh, it's going to be a battle, and it's you know it's going to be a wide open race. Yeah, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You guys went up to Moorhead, right? And right. were they ranked number two in the state of time? And yeah, you guys got two. them that day. 
Yep. Uh, right around that Christmas time, we were climbing the ladder, and I think we got as high as two, and then we had a tie, and then we had a loss, and we went in overtime a few times, and so we got it knocked down, and everybody started not believing, but you got to believe in yourselves, and then, then you start picking away. You know, we play the Blaines and Maple Groves and Moorheads and Grand Rapids and up there and started doing well again, and so, you know, you get the rhythm going. So it's kind of been a wide-open race, so we'll see what happens. What year is this now for you, Bill? <laughs> uh, 39. I mean, after 39 years, does the passion, I mean, does yeah. it still burn today it like does. it did 39 years ago? It is crazy. I mean, obviously, and you can look up at the trophy cases up here, but you start off and you got your own knees and you got a lot of hair and people, you know, and, and people thought, yeah, you're a pretty good athlete and a pretty good coach. And now they're going, hey, my, my grandpa said you were a pretty good athlete. And it's like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> um, yeah, it, you know, you, you got to have a passion. And literally when you put your skates on, um, I, I feel, and I, I know I can't live it anymore, but you feel like you're 25 years old when you hit the rink with the kids. And, you know, if, as long as you have a relationship, I believe, you know, and things go well, um, yeah, you just keep plugging away. You just, it's a good, good to be, good to be there. I mean, how many examples do you have of kids you coach or have coached over the last five, 10 years where you also coach their dad? Uh, you know, I started counting and I forgot the other day I was looking. There's on, the, on between the JV and varsity. There's got at least six or seven this year that all the, their dads. What's scary is they look alike, they act alike, they talk the same way, <laughs> and they have the same good habits and some of the same other habits. Uh, but that's what keeps you young and keeps you, you know. And they're a great supporting cast of parents because they lived it. So you know, there's not a whole lot of coach didn't play me on that shift and it's like well then you better work harder he did the same thing to me <laughs> so yeah it's kind of fun bill murray boys hockey coach bill lechner i'm doing score north live on monday i guess that would be what noon to two on monday i'll catch up with mike mcgraw boston bruins scout he does great work on 45 tv during the boys high school hockey tournament he has seen all these teams in person so we'll get a thorough breakdown especially of the two-way bracket with Mike McGraw on Score North Live in that first hour. I think the idea is maybe to have him on around 12.20 or so. For now, we are done. That does it for Scoop Podcast episode 285 on this Friday night, the 28th of February. 